Welcome to Medicus, a student-run podcast about any and all things in the world of medicine. Follow along as we interview outstanding individuals about important topics in healthcare. Welcome to Medicus. I'm Brendan Connolly, a second-year student at Loyola Strict School of Medicine. And I'm Brittany Zelch, a first-year student at Loyola Strict School of Medicine. Today's topic is leadership in medicine, and our guest today is Nicolette Cotaspati. Nicolette is a second-year medical student at Loyola University Chicago Strict School of Medicine, um, which you'll note makes her one of my classmates. She is originally from Long Island, New York, and graduated from the University of Wisconsin-Madison with a major in biology and certificates in gender and women's studies, global health, and leadership. Following undergrad, Nicolette completed two master's degrees in public health and in science and human nutrition and functional medicine. While completing her master's of science, she also worked as a research associate at Clinical Outcome Solutions, where she supported several clinical trials. Nicolette has a passion for women's health and medical education and is intimately involved in both areas at Loyola as the president of the Academic Medicine Interest Group and the mentorship chair for the Society of Women's Health. Outside of Stritch, Nicolette serves on the Committee of Medical Education for the Medical Student Section of the American Medical Association, or the AMA, as well as Education Chair for the Medical Student Forum on Female Sexual Dysfunction. Her past and current leadership experiences led her to her latest position, in which she was selected to serve as the first medical student on the Board of Directors for the Academy of Professionalism in Medicine. Nicolette, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here and chat with you guys today. Yeah, we're excited to have you too. And I should point out that um, we have one other thing in common and that we both won a SMICA in um, orientation. We of, did. Yeah, in one year, which is awarded. They are um, uh, stretch awards them to people who fulfilled a certain amount of competencies or hours in various areas on their application to med school. And so it's a fun way to just recognize some people who are bringing various talents to, to med school. Yours was for leadership, right? Yeah, mine was for leadership. And what was funny about it was I was actually sitting with next to one of my really good friends now with the, at the time we weren't necessarily that close because we were orientation friends day two, I think it was of orientation. Right. Um, and I had told her that I had been really involved prior to medical school. I think I'm just gonna like lay low, <laughs> like once I'm here. Um, so first semester I did, like I did really just focus on school, but since then I haven't, and it's kind of funny now looking back at, I was like trying to like keep a cover and not show people like how much I've done. And then two seconds later I got that award and I was like, oh, my cover's blown. So. <laughs> right, no, I can't hide anymore. Yeah, mine no. was for athletics, Sports, but right? yeah. yeah, I know what you mean with like, you sort of come in thinking, okay, I just want to keep my head above water and then you realize that your head's well above water and you're like, okay, now I can start to yeah. branch out and do, do some other things. Well, yeah, so we wanted to have you on to talk about leadership in medicine. Obviously anyone who is a student at Loyola right now will probably know your name from um, being the president of the academic med interest group and leading the leadership elective here. Um, mm -hmm. But then it also caught our eye that you started this new position uh, on the board of directors for the Academy of Professionalism in uh, healthcare. And so the first things first, we just want to have you sort of describe what is the Academy of Professionalism in Healthcare um, and then what's your role? 
Yeah, so the Academy of Professionalism in Healthcare, also known as APHC, which is a little less of a mouth, like a mouthful <laughs> of words. Um, it's a national organization um, comprised of all different healthcare professionals, um, mainly at academic institutions, so medical schools. Um, and they want to promote professionalism in education, scholarship, policy, and practice. And so if we think about it as medical students, we've heard professionalism since day one. Um, so this is nothing new really for us, but it was something that I was really excited to get involved in and actually get asked to be a part of. Um, so it was really random how I kind of came upon it, but I had an M4 who's now a first year resident. Um, she was a part of the organization and told me that there was a great talk that I should go to. To go to the talk, you had to be a member. So I was like, you know what? It was like um, 20, I think it's $25 to be a student member of the organization. And I was like, why not? Like, I'll do that. It'll be a great another organization to be a part of. Um, just realizing too how I wanted to not just do things inside of Stretch, but also outside in the country. Um, so I had gone to the talk. I started being a member. And then this past summer, the board of directors, um, which one of their main goals was really to get more medical students involved, was to change their bylaws and amend you know, the requirements to serve as a board of directors member. Um, and that's where they actually amended it to include a medical student as part of the board. Um, so I was reached out to um, late in the summer, I think it was August, um, just to ask if I wanted to be a part of it, um, which I said yes, and I sent them a little bit more information about me. Um, and then after that, it was about two-ish months of them you know, making a decision, I think, between a few individuals. And I found out then officially in the early October that I was chosen to be on the board, um, which was super exciting. Very nice, congratulations. So they're looking to kind of promote student involvement in on the board in the organization. Yeah, so that's the first, so it's a pretty new organization. So a lot of not like, you know, national organizations for that have a lot of board of directors have been in existence for a fair amount of time. I think that they are about seven or eight years old, which is actually really young compared to some other organizations. Um, and they've gotten a lot of involvement from uh, professionals and faculty at different schools. So the people who are on the boards are deans of education at different medical schools across the country, um, other administrative people at hospitals, um, admissions directors. Um, so it's really people who are relatively high up in leadership positions at their campus. And so they really want to see like, you know, how can we target medical students? How do we get medical students more involved? This conversation obviously never ends even as a medical student and as we move on in our training. So they thought the best way to do that was, you know, to have a medical student on the board with them, which is where I came into play. And it's going to be a great opportunity for me to provide that perspective, uh, perspective to them um, yeah. in their initiatives. Yeah, very nice. Yeah. And Nicola, just knowing a little bit about you and how much leadership ex experience you have, I was wondering what stood out to you about focusing on professionalism specifically? You do have a pretty broad and impressive kind of range of ways that you've demonstrated leadership. So what was it about this experience for you? Yeah, I think professionalism, I mean, is integrated in every aspect of everything that we are doing. So no matter what you are doing, professionalism has a role to play, um, specifically in leadership. And I think that's really what drew me to this organization at first. And now as I navigate it further, continue to get onboarded, to the board and other initiatives. Um, they have a lot of subcommittees too that I'm gonna get more involved in. Um, so yeah, that's really, I guess, the most of it. All right, so uh, speaking of that, I don't know if you're allowed to 
you know, tip your hand or if any of this is supposed to be covert, but like what are some of the initiatives or goals of the organization? Yeah, so I think the big thing is like continuing a conversation about how can we integrate professionalism more formally into the schools? We talk about it, but what do we really do to promote mm -hmm. professionalism? You know, there's, we, we're held to a higher standard as a medical student, but there's a lot of opportunities for us to have more discussions on how we can incorporate professionalism and even for faculty too. So it really goes at every different level. So I think that's one of the biggest things is even just, you know, before you do anything, you need to at least start the conversation and have people recognize that it's something important. Um, so that's really one of the biggest things. And then just following that um, subsequent programming on professionalism yeah. and how, you know, we can all prepare for a career in medicine or continue to excel our career um, for those faculty who have already maybe been in the field for a while. Right, okay. So it reminds me a little bit of, um, you know, we do have sort of a curriculum, if I'm not mistaken, at Loyola for, um, you know, professionalism in medicine where you kind of talk over some cases and, um, you know, it's a little bit of bioethics integrated too and, and mm -hmm. going through that, but then also just like, how do you respond to administrators, you know, and, and like you said, professionalism kind of just hammered away starting day one at med school. I mean, I'm pretty sure they mentioned it at our orientation the same day they gave us our SMICO awards. And then it's, yeah. you know, it's just sort of, I don't know, it remains relevant throughout. I had like kind of a follow-up question. So can you glean, like, is that a pretty common occurrence at other med schools too, that they have things integrated into the curriculum now? Or would you say that is something that's still sort of lacking and where your, you know, the APHC is hoping to, to promote, you know, just a more formal, formally integrated part of the education? Yeah, I'm not 100% sure, but just based on like more informal relationships that I have with um, my AMA committee on med ed um, yeah. and some of the other uh, form on female sexual dysfunction, there's students from every Chicago medical school. Um, so just having conversations with them, I've, you know, recognized that professionalism is a word that gets thrown around. In terms of a formal curriculum, I'm not sure because I mean, we have small groups with our professionalism thing. I don't know what it looks like for them once this year just because the curriculum has changed, but we had probably like two or three, I think, in the first year, um, yeah. where, like you said, it was just really a case-based discussion, like, what would you do in this situation if you knew someone was cheating or if you knew um, something else was going on? So yeah. it's there's always room to grow, I think, as a school, too, and Loyola is, like, really working on its curriculum right now. Um, it's a, currently mm -hmm. in an evolving state. The M1s have a completely different curriculum, really, than we did even last year, so you know, there's always going to be room to grow. There's always more for us to learn, which is scary because in medical school, we already <laughs> learn so much, but like, how do we really prepare physician leaders and physicians who are going to be in the professional world? Um, because as medical students, like Dr. Gruner usually says, we're like physicians in training. We're not just medical students. So um, we are held to a higher standard. And I think even with COVID and everything going on today, like that's only become more pronounced. Right. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And to speak to the M1 curriculum, they've definitely continued to incorporate kind of case-based learning around professionalism. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I think it is something that's still continuing to kind of expand and evolve, even as we go through the year in the midst of COVID and everything yeah. else. And I think too, with your health system sciences course, I think there's a little bit more that's being integrated and we didn't have that. So I don't even really know what's a part of it, but um, <laughs> I just know that there's some things more like system-based stuff 
Yeah. And it's every week, I think we're kind of learning a little bit more about it too. Yeah. And I think it's kind of this intersection between the economics of healthcare and systems that yeah. kind of make the field what it is. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say it's just sort of a, a product of the times right now in the coronavirus world that everything's, you know, just sort of figuring out, figuring things out as we go in a lot of cases. Yeah. So. Yeah. So Nicola, backtracking a little bit, could you describe your personal leadership journey and just kind of what brought you to your position with APHC and the other groups that you currently have leadership positions in? Yeah. So I think a lot of it did start um, in undergrad and I attribute pretty much most of my leadership style experience um, to all of the work that I've done in my sorority starting in 2012, because um, I was the pledge class in 2012, which is crazy now, it's eight years ago. Um, but I had um, assumed the role of philanthropy chair pretty early on, so that was like a great role for me to give back to the community uh, through our uh, philanthropies that we supported. Um, but then becoming president was really a pivotal role for me. Um, my chapter is pretty large at the University of Wisconsin. So it's, it was 200 plus young women, um, which mm. if anyone can imagine being in a room <laughs> of 200 young women, that's a very hard job to do. Um, so in addition to leading them, I also had to collaborate with 12 other executive board members. Um, through this, this really taught me a lot about leadership through trial and error, communication, how to really explain things succinctly for people to understand, giving people an opportunity to provide feedback and being open to feedback too, because you really want to, you know, you're evolving as a leader. You want to like, respond to the people that you are leading because a sorority is different than now medical school, but there's a lot of similarities that you can draw between leading groups of people. Um, so that was really a big pivotal one for me in undergrad. Um, through that, I kind of went through a few other positions, um, moving up to uh, being on the um, Panhellenic Association Executive Board. So the Panhellenic Association is the governing body for all sororities. Um, and then after that, I was elected to the Iron Cross Society, which was a pretty big honor at the University of Wisconsin, where nine graduating seniors out of 6,000 are chosen for their leadership that they've done over the past few years. Um, so with that, I had a whole group of people who are, you know, there's a lot of actually medical students, lawyers, um, people who are going through their professional education still today. Um, and we collaborated to make some sustainable change on campus at Wisconsin. And so that was a really like, great, like, summary, I guess, of all the leadership that I had done to date um, with that. More formally though, in undergrad, I did a leadership certificate as Brendan mentioned in the intro. Um, so that was more didactic class material reflection. Um, and I've pulled a little bit of that through into the leadership elective today. So that's been something that I was really grateful to do. Um, but coming to then to stretch, like I said, I didn't really wanna do anything at first I was just like I need to focus on school like I need to like do well in my classes because right. um, I was a non-traditional student obviously and it took me a while to get to medical school so I really wanted to focus but once it came to like January February I was like you know what I think I can take on um, a few more things which turned into a lot more things <laughs> um, which is fine but the one thing that I did do first semester was do the leadership elective um so through the leadership elective, I had a lot of light bulbs of how I can, you know, potentially make this better. And I was reminded how much I love education. I've always loved education and leadership, even throughout undergrad. I, I mean, I've gotten two master's degrees since my bachelor's. Like, I am a student for life, and especially in medicine, you are a student for life. So um, it's just a part of who I am. 
Um, and so doing that, I then applied to the Academic Medicine Interest Group Board, um, was chosen as president, which has been probably the best experience that I've had at Stritch, um, and also to the most pivotal experience. Um, it's given me a lot of opportunities. And that's been something now, like moving forward, that helped me get on the AMA Committee on Med Ed, and then the APHC. Um, and I'm also in the bioethics honors program. So professionalism is really intimately linked with bioethics. Our bioethics department actually supports a lot of the APHC conferences and meetings. So we actually have another, there's a bioethics professor, Nanette Elster. She actually is on the board with me. So she's another representation from Loyola. So that's pretty exciting too. Very nice. So you have your uh, toes just dipped in a lot of different waters, but you know, yeah. sort of some common themes running through a lot of it and the Absolutely. You know, pursuing professionalism, bioethics, leadership positions mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. So yeah, just sort of I guess digging into that a little bit, like what sort of inspired you to become interested in leadership from the outset? You know, is there something that just really draws you to, to these positions in, in leadership? And I guess specifically if, um, if you can, like leadership in medicine too. Yeah, so I think um, for leadership for me has been something I've always wanted to be a leader. I, I mean, growing up through elementary school, middle school, high school, I've always wanted to put myself into leadership positions. I think a big part of that was I grew up as a competitive dancer. So I was on a team from age five till senior year of high school mm -hmm. um, and just being a part of a team and you know everyone had to step up at certain times to do something you know in that context. Um, that really was like more what really started it. Um, Brendan, I'm sure you know, just being on a team like with a team sport like yeah. just instills <laughs> some type of leadership and teamwork into you that feels like a part of you then um so mm -hmm. it didn't me and leadership I don't think of them I just like it's a part of me it's not something that's I'm actively trying to seek out I just think that it happens to be that things that I choose to do tend to be in leadership roles um, but in particular leadership in medicine I think is an interesting question because as physicians we are always going to be leaders no matter what you do um, whether yeah. you're in an academic institution, whether you're in a private practice, if you're an academic institution, you're going to be a faculty member, you're going to be a professor, you're going to be leading that department. In private practice, you're going to be leading that office. So right. it's really important for medical students to learn leadership and to continue to explore it and explore how you lead too, because there's not one way. Um, for me, I feel like I'm still evolving and learning things about myself, but I'm really grateful for some opportunities that I've had prior to medical school to work on those because you're not going to be perfect. You're never going to be, but you could, you could strive towards that. Um, and as medical <laughs> right. students, we're pretty type A, um, wanting things to be perfect, but um, you really have to just try your best to, you know, yeah. work on it and continue on. So I really like what you said there about how regardless of where you're working, where you'll be as a future physician, you're going to have a leadership you know, capacity or leadership role in some way. And so how do you think actually providing patient care can be enhanced or made better if physicians have those better leadership abilities or experiences? Yeah, so I think like, I mean, the big thing is the skills that you learn in leadership positions, once again, can be translated to a variety of different contexts. And especially as a provider, um, you know, communication skills, collaboration, teamwork, those are all super relevant skills to start practicing until like 
before we're even in with the patients themselves. And I think like what the one thing that really sticks out to me is the way that medicine is um, evolving. So we've really recognized the importance of collaborating with our patients. We're not just physicians who walk into the room and tell them what to do. Um, we wanna work with them um, and really come up with solutions together. We wanna educate them. Education has been you know, more important now than ever um, with when you have a patient in the room, what can we teach? Like, what can we teach them? What can we help them explore, um, especially during their disease process or even just preventing disease too? So that's, I think, the big thing is that through these leadership experiences, you can get those skills, work on those skills, and then it directly transcends um, not just to working with other providers, but directly working with your patients. Right. I was going to say it's not just about being sort of like a leader in the hospital that, you know, makes more money or gets to tell people under, you know, under you what to do. But it's, uh, it, it, I, I think it, you know, it makes a big difference in the actual delivery of healthcare, which is, mm -hmm. you know, at the, at the end of the day, sort of the most important thing that we should be focused on. And I think in, um, when I was just researching the APHC a little bit, um, in the last couple of days, just, you know, in preparation for this, I saw like one of their talks was about um, like, how do we get patients to trust us during the midst of the COVID epidemic, you know, and like with a potential vaccine coming out in the next however many months, we're going to need people to take that <laughs> and we're going to need people to, to trust us. And so some of that has to do with, you know, do they see us as trustworthy people whose opinion they can um, they can lean on and that they see as, you know, maybe a leader in some area that they want to, you know, follow and take this vaccine and help, help with the virus. So, I, you know, I think it's just, yeah. Uh, yeah. And I think the big part too with that is um, relationship building, how important it mm. is to, you know, build sustainable, productive relationships with everyone, um, anyone you can. And I think in leadership positions, the biggest thing for me has been networking. Um, you can reach out to anyone ask them about their life, ask them, you know, how did you get here? You don't always need everything to be like transactional, which sometimes it feels like with medicine, you know, like I'm reaching out to this doctor because I want to do research with them or I want them to be my mentor. Like you could just reach out to someone just to like start and say hi um, and be like, wow, I was really inspired by your work. I'd love to know more and not even really ask anything of them. So that directly also correlates to a patient care. Um, you know, how do you create really great relationships with your patients? Because what you're saying, like with the vaccine, how does someone trust you? If you have a good relationship with them, like they're obviously going to be more likely to, oh yeah, doctor, you think I should take this? Like, oh yeah, okay, sounds good. Like, <laughs> and we need that, you know, if we want a vaccine to even work, we need able to take it so right yeah I mean it sounds so simple but it kind of is so simple sometimes you know <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so so I was just wondering especially in the context of um, you know being a medical student like we all are and I did sort of mention that there's a hierarchy to medicine and there is but are there any like roadblocks to med students sort of pursuing um, leadership opportunities or activities in some ways and I ask that just because it it seems like it can be hard for med students to get a seat at the table sometimes. And uh, the decisions, you know, we're so focused on just learning the science, learning the medicine so that we can treat patients. Um, but, you know, sometimes we get to have a say also. And I'm just wondering if, if you have sort of identified any roadblocks that you've had to overcome in achieving, you know, sort of the positions that you hold now. 
Yeah, I don't know if it's necessarily roadblocks, but I think there's just some things to think about as you are like going through the leadership process and looking for roles. Um, I mean, like I said before, networking has been the biggest thing for me. That's actually opened a lot of doors, um, even if it wasn't mm -hmm. intentional. So really just getting to know different people at our institution and then also getting to know different people outside of the institution. So um, through the AMA, I there's medical students from across the country. Um, so you just talk to them, they're on your committee and you can always, you know, ask them for something and it could lead like, you know, they, oh, Nicola's really interested in women's health. I actually found this women's health opportunity. Maybe I should forward over to her. Oh, now I apply now, you know, in, involved in that. So that's how a lot of things happen. Um, I also think just like putting yourself out there and that's like, it kind of inter intertwines with networking. Um, just put yourself out there, apply for as many things as you want to. Um, yeah. You know, the worst things that's gonna happen is it's gonna be a no. Um, but if you don't try, it's not going to happen at all. Um, yeah. So I think that's really something, just being open to those things, having confidence in yourself, um, because, you know, as medical school is really hard and draining, it's really easy to be hard on yourself and down if you're not performing well, like on an exam. But for me, these are the things that ignite my passion, re like mind me to study, motivate me to study. Mm -hmm. um, if I didn't have this extra stuff, um, and I was just studying all day long. That would, at least for me, wouldn't work. But I mean, everyone's different. So I think those are like the two big things. But then um, also creating opportunities for yourself. I think that's something that I've learned, especially at Stritch. They are super open to student initiatives and are with open arms welcoming you, will support you, um, promote you, um, everything possible. Like that's even with this board position like I was not expecting it to be in the newsletter that happened that week and <laughs> I wake up to like a group me notification um congratulating me and I was like oh no like I didn't know I didn't know that, <laughs> that was gonna go out because sometimes when you're in some of these roles I don't love to like be talked about like in that like it's you just have you know it's, it's, sometimes it's uncomfortable but um yeah. it's something too uh, like you're proud of so it is nice when you do get recognition for it um so making opportunities for yourself come up with a new student org um come up mm -hmm. with a new community initiative, like be your own leader that you can carve out for yourself. Um, it's stretched more than anything. And I'm sure it's pretty similar probably at a lot of other medical schools too. Faculty want students to get involved. They only have so much time. So if right. you can find your niche like in the school and take advantage of it, which is something through the academic medicine interest group we've really done. Um, last year it was just, years prior was just the leadership elective. A lot of people don't know that everything else is brand new this year. Um, and it's been really exciting to kick all of that off. But those are opportunities we made for ourselves. That was not something that we applied to, you know, formally do the director of mentorship or start medical student grand rounds, like because that was something that we just created from the ground up. Right. Yeah, I love that. And I love how you've kind of highlighted a few key ways that medical students, even pre-med students can get involved in leadership. I love, you know, networking, putting yourself out there, finding your niche for students who might be thinking, okay, I see this maybe vast or narrow array of opportunities and yeah. don't know where to start. Like, how do I start? What mm -hmm. would you say to them? Yeah. So I think it, it definitely depends on what level of in your training you're at. So I would say like, if we're looking at Loyola specifically, um, especially as an M1, so M1 who just came to campus, I mean, what I would encourage you to do is start by things that are already formally established. So start getting involved in a student org, maybe do an elective, um, start just connecting with people outside of the classroom. But then once you 
you know, are getting ready for student orgs, like apply for that position. Um, I think those are just really great starting points because once you're in those positions, a lot of doors will open up just inevitably. Um, so if it's a specialty interest group, so like I'm a part of the Society of Women's Health and I'm the mentorship chair, so I can connect with the department because I'm coordinating resident uh, student relationships. So I have to reach out to the department. I have to recruit um, resident mentors to mentor these students. So through that, then you can make your own path. So last year through that program was just a simple, you know, pair people together. This year we're like, how do we really get people to explore OB-GYN? And so we actually are having a journal club now through the program, um, a research symposium, encouraging them to get onto projects because at least in OB-GYN residency at Loyola, they have to do a lot of research. So, um, you know, how do we get students on these projects and why don't we give them an opportunity to present that only enhances their communication skills um, and other things that, you know, everything, it's all connected at some point, um, and how do we provide as many opportunities as we can, especially in the remote environment? I, in my opinion, there's more opportunity because of Zoom, um, but it's, yeah. yeah, it's draining, it's hard, it's difficult, but <laughs> we still can provide opportunities for students. Yeah, I definitely think Zoom, Zoom fatigue is a thing, <laughs> oh, it but is. It, it does make it easier to just say, hey, let's jump on a call real quick and, right. uh, you know, set something up. And or even cook dinner and listen. Like I, right. I, it's like listening to a podcast if you're listening to a panel, you know, like mm -hmm. talking. So it's been, I think that's something more accessible for the faculty too. They can be home right. and have cooked dinner for their kids two minutes prior and then they're like hopping on a call. So right. it's been good, but it is exhausting. Um, luckily, we don't have too many mandatory Zooms. So. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I think uh, I think people are catching on to the fact that the fatigue can be real sometimes. But um, yeah, I mean, definitely a lot of opportunities there. I think um, you know it'll be interesting to track for our own education how things change over the next few years um, compared to what the plan would have been had uh, you know a global pandemic not not taken hold. Right. Um, definitely forcing more. <laughs> creativity in medical right. education, something that a lot of people have been trying to push forward and it just was forced then, which isn't always a bad mm -hmm. thing, but um, it will right. be interesting to see how it changes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so this next question gets into sort of like a, a more nuanced, maybe special topic. And um, it's one that, um, you know, I know as medical students, we don't have too much experience in like the hospital world or you know working with chiefs of departments and things like that but I do think that you know it's just interesting to look around I think there's a decent amount of data and literature that sort of shows that a lot of leadership positions in medicines and hospitals and departments there's not much diversity there usually and I think there's that might be changing a little bit but you know I'm a man you, you two are both women and most of the positions are held by men and um I just want to know if, you know, we're talking about leadership here. Is that something that's like in the back of your mind in any way when, when you think about sort of like your own leadership positions or like your future careers in medicine? Do you think it's something that is changing uh, the more we talk about it at least? Or, do, you know, does it need to change? What's, uh, you know, just when you sort of assess that landscape, what do you think? Yeah, so, I mean, it is real. I mean, you look at administration, you look at chairs of departments, um, program directors, they are predominantly held by men. However, what's so exciting is that the field is changing. Um, look at medical school classes. They are predominantly women. 
across not just Loyola, which Loyola, it's like a really great percentage, but every medical school across the country, nationally, women are um, more enrolled in medical school than men. Um, so inevitably, it's it's going in that direction. Um, it's going to change. You know, there's going to be transitions of leadership that's going to happen. Um, and I do think women are taking on more roles, but sometimes it's it just gets in your head. It's like, why isn't, why aren't women in these positions? Um, and you come up with reasons that probably aren't even true. It might be due to a million different reasons. Maybe like those were the most qualified people for the job. However, when it's so vast like that, it's hard to believe that that's the only reason. Um, but for me personally, I don't really think about it that much. I just, doing me, I don't think about like any outside pressures. Um, I feel like my entire career, like you've, like we've talked about a lot of different accomplishments I've had and opportunities and experiences. Like I'm a first generation college student. I'm a first generation medical student. Um, I feel like I've felt like an imposter my whole time, like life. Um, I'm the first to get a degree, got two like master's degrees and now I'm in medical school. Um, people would think that I came from a family maybe that had, um, you know, physicians. I was asked that question actually this morning on a call that I was on that one of the faculty members was like, it's impressive how much you've done. Do you come from a family of doctors? And I was like, no, actually I'm a first gen college student. So you just have to go with it. Um, you know, dig down deep. What do you want to do? I, I see an opportunity. I know I want to do it and take advantage of it. And I think through my career um, and as I continue on in my training, it's not going to be different. Um, I'm gonna keep taking advantage of any opportunity that's in front of me. I think uh, a lot of faculty will say like, you know, say yes to every opportunity. Um, for me, it's getting to a point where I, I can't always say yes to everything. I have too much. I, I need to also study and find time for school because that's really why we're here. Um, but, you know, really keep every option open. Um, if you can't do it, find a way to decline the opportunity and ask if it's something that you can maybe postpone. Is this something that I can do at a later time? So I think really finding that is important. But I mean, women are up and coming in medicine. Um, it's the reality, it's the data, we see it. Um, so it will be interesting how the shift happens because it, it has to, if women yeah. are making up predominantly the demographic of medical students today, um, they're all gonna you know, go through and go continue on in their career and rise into different roles in different departments, hospitals, um, politics, government. Um, so we'll mm -hmm. see. We're in the middle of an election week um, too. So <laughs> it's it's really an interesting time to see the change and hopefully we do see it sooner rather than later. Right. Yeah. You know, I think it will just be interesting to track sort of as we go, as we go mm -hmm. forward because, um, you know, there's been calls in lots of different industries for promoting more diversity and thinking that that should, um, you know, just help improve sort of the overall quality of those different industries and make sure that different voices are being heard. It's not just coming from, you know, one demographic. Um, so yeah, I think it will be interesting, but like you said, um, and I can't speak to this as much as, as maybe you guys can, but sometimes it's just sort of like pursuing what you want to pursue and putting your head down and, and going after that too. So. Yeah. And I think too, just, um, for me, I've really created a lot of opportunity for myself, but that's also, you know, being confident and putting myself out there. 
Um, that's not the same for everyone. So finding mm -hmm. ways in which we can get people involved, that's why like through AMIG, like we really wanna provide as many opportunities as we can for people to have platforms to tell, share their story, for opportunities to learn more about different things through some of our workshops that we do on a variety of topics that we don't get in the traditional medical school curriculum. Um, so it's sometimes you need to provide those opportunities to open doors for people and I think we all like need to be aware of that. And I think Stretch has done a pretty good job and is working hard, especially with everything that's going on in our world today. Um, and so I'm really looking forward to seeing hopefully some sustainable change, um, especially with you know putting more diverse faces into these positions um, in the hospital, but also in the medical school too, um, because that'll only you know change for everything for the better. So Nicolette, thanks for joining us. Um, before we wrap up, I want to give you one more chance just to sort of address our audience, anything about leadership or professionalism in medicine, um, what would you say? Yeah, so I mean, if these are things that you want to get involved in, um, you know, leadership in medicine, especially with the Stritch community, so we're all Stritch students, like people in leadership roles want to mentor and share their experiences and help provide, like I was saying, opportunities for other students. So I'm just putting it out there that I'm always available. Um, you can contact me if you're inside of Stritch, a variety of different ways, um, but even more like globally. Um, I'm on Twitter too, and I can provide my Twitter handle that you guys can put in the thing. Um, like my DMs, whatever is always open. Um, we want to just continue to share this knowledge, and it's hard as a medical student to sometimes even locate information. Um, and I feel that through my experiences, I've you know, been, been a resource to a lot of people, and I hope to continue to do that because I'm only an M2, so I'll be here for um, we're only in the start, so really three more years, um, which is exciting. And Hopefully we'll continue to grow and you know, a lot of these positions are for this year and some of them are a little bit longer. Um, so we'll see how it goes, but um, thank you guys so much for having me. This has been a really fun conversation. Um, I feel like I don't talk about a lot of these things all the time. Um, mm -hmm. I just do them. <laughs> I just live them every day. Right. Um, so this is like a fun reflective thing for me too and seeing like, you know, what I've gotten out of it. And this is great. Thank you guys so much. Yeah, of course. Thank you. And uh, we will definitely, um, for any listeners wondering, your Twitter handle will definitely be included in the episode um, in the episode description so everyone can look for that. And then uh, we're recording this on November 4th. So any astute listeners out there will know that that's the day after the presidential election and still waiting for some results to come in. So Nicolette, we definitely thank you for taking some time out of any tracking of politics to uh, talk to us. We really enjoyed this conversation. Yeah. I know. I've, I've enjoyed it too. It's a crazy day and hopefully we'll hear something tonight because it's going in that direction. So we shall <laughs> yeah, see. Exactly. I think I need to get back to studying. I've been, there's a lot of distractions this week, um, <laughs> but it's been good. So. Oh yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Well, thanks so much again, Nicolette. Of course. All right. As always, thanks for listening to this episode. This wouldn't be possible without the support from our listeners. Please rate, review, and subscribe. We appreciate donations to help fund the production of this podcast. To support us, go to medicuspodcast.com, where you can additionally find show notes, links, and information about our guests. We are at Medicus Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. If you have any questions, comments, or episode suggestions, please submit them on our website. This podcast is intended for general information purposes only and does not constitute the practice 
practice of medicine, no patient-doctor relation is formed, and the content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional advice, diagnosis, or treatment.